Well, every blessing to you all and welcome back. No, not to my open air pulpits. I attempted to go to the pulpit yesterday to record this video, uh, which I want to call the apostates, which in some ways will be a continuation from my video last year called the heretic. Beware and be warned. But after arriving at the pulpit yesterday, horseflies all over the place, hundreds of them, disgusting little creatures. And you think of Beelzebub, you think of the Lord of the flies, you think of devils, demons, mosquitoes, which some people believe are able to infect, saved people, demon possession, which I won't speak about this morning. But after surveying the pulpit yesterday and trying different spots at the open air pulpits, it was impossible, impossible to film. So I thought I would return to this backup location. And the last time I was here was 2012, many years ago. But like I say, I want to, if I may, call this video The Apostate and continue along the lines of the video that I made last year entitled, like I say, The Heretic. Beware and be warned because many people are falling away left, right and centre. Maybe 10, 11 years ago or maybe 12 years ago to be precise, when I first joined YouTube, a lot of people were putting up good videos, good quality videos. I've noticed over the last five or six years, not so many videos are being produced of good quality, like defending the rapture, which I want to do this morning, defending the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, premillennialism, which I want to talk about this morning, once saved, always saved, which I want to talk about this morning, and also the Trinity, which I may touch on this morning. A lot of people are falling away, and it's kind of sad because I was looking at a few channels maybe three or four nights ago of YouTubers that I was acquainted with maybe 10, uh, 10 years ago or so which used to produce good videos and now not put up any videos no longer posting videos and one channel that I went to a good King James channel hasn't put up a video in eight years eight years what's going on so what I thought I would do today and hopefully not be uh, distracted by horse flies <laughs> is look at a group of uh, verses dealing with apostasy which of course is another term and description for backsliding and yes christians do backslide and i want to discuss that also this morning but i thought i'd start in second thessalonians chapter 2 because this piece of scripture does seem to cause those of us which are pre-tribulational pre-millennial certain problems there's a real attack at the moment from counterfeit king james people to come against the pre-trib rapture a lot of videos being posted documentaries produced over the last little while causing confusion and chaos and of course you know that god is not the author of confusion i thought i would read some verses and hopefully correct some uh, misconceptions and clarify some confusion second thessalonians second thessalonians Thessalonians chapter 2 look at verse 1 if you will now we beseech you brethren by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him the rapture of course first Thessalonians chapter 4 Revelation 19 we come back with him because we've been with him throughout the tribulation but here Paul is speaking about the rapture which could be imminent of course we beseech you, brethren, by the coming 
of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him in reference to the rapture not second advent which causes so much confusion that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us as that the day of Christ is at hand second advent not the rapture go back to the Old Testament the day of the Lord the day of the Lord the day of the Lord the day of God Almighty the day of Jehovah meaning judgment destruction and ultimately hell fire the church hasn't been appointed to wrath we have peace right now with the Lord Jesus Christ and here mischief makers were going around saying you've missed the rapture the Antichrist is on roots and never forgets incidentally the false prophet sometimes we focus so much on the man of sin the son of perdition that we overlook the false prophet found several times over in the book of Revelation don't be soon shaken verse 2 in mind troubled neither by spirit nor by a word like a counterfeit epistle or word of mouth nor by letter as from us as that as that the day of Christ is at hand so go back to the early century the great hope then and today should still be that Christ could return at a moment's notice and that's why you are you are told time after time to be holy because he is holy just imagine being caught in an inappropriate situation and Christ returns at that very moment you'd be so ashamed of yourself wouldn't you the reason to live holy isn't to do with your salvation you're already saved based on what Christ has done for you not what you do for him but the reason to live holy is to get the crowns the rewards and also not to appear at the judgment seat ashamed and also naked the day of Christ is at hand but he says don't be shaken neither by spirit word or letter let no man deceive you by any means Matthew 24 says if it were possible if it were possible I hear so many people misquote Matthew 24 it says if it were possible even the elect would be deceived it's not possible but if it were possible the very elect would be deceived God is going to make it possible so the elect are not deceived God will make it possible so those that get saved in the tribulation don't take the mark of the beast he had no trouble taking care of millions of Jews in the wilderness for 40 years he'll have no trouble when it comes to preserving his elect for seven years Antichrist arrives for seven years it starts off all very peacefully great flattery is used to seduce the world and right in the middle of the seven years he starts to show his real colors and for the last three and a half years of the tribulation it's hellfire on the earth pestilences famines plagues people being forced to take the mark of the beast it almost mirrors the Lord's ministry he arrives 26 AD on the scene dies 33 AD it gives you seven years he starts off just preaching to his inner circle John the Baptist recognizes him and he starts to accumulate his disciples spends time with them and then Matthew chapter 4 
like 30 AD, repent, for the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. And he starts to come alive, if you will, starts to preach the gospel. That of course is the reverse to the Antichrist. His gospel is damnation, destruction. Let no man deceive you by any means, and yet we've got people all over the place, all over the place now, that are being deceived, that are jumping ship, that are no longer looking for Christ, but the Antichrist, are no longer defending the King James Bible, but multiple Bibles, no longer hold to once saved, always saved, but if you don't live it, you lose it. The body of Christ right now, the professing church right now, and even the real church right now, is in such a state that just the thought of a quarter of the professing church going through the tribulation and somehow making it out at the other end unblemished is a joke. I think the average Christian couldn't last seven minutes, let alone seven years, going through the tribulation. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day, in reference to verse 2, the day of Christ, not the rapture, verse 1. You can be so careful when you come to reading the word of God. For that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. The great apostasy began during the time of the Apostle Paul. And that man of sin be revealed, hasn't been revealed yet. The son of perdition. Of course, we've had many antichrists over the years popes, presidents, princes, prime ministers, entrepreneurs, colourful characters, but the Antichrist, the son of perdition, the man of sin, Mr. 666, has yet to arrive. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So we know from Revelation chapter 11 that the third and final temple will be built during the tribulation. And it's always worth reminding our reformed friends and uh, amillennial friends and uh, pre-trist friends that Revelation 11 says what it means and means what it says and how the temple that goes up during the tribulation is a literal temple cross reference it back to Ezekiel 44 45 46 and how you've also got the two witnesses probably Moses and Elijah hasn't happened yet hasn't happened yet yes it's true for now our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost but Revelation 11 verses 1 2 and 3 give you the measurements lay out the description of the third temple which again go back to Ezekiel to get a more detailed account hasn't been built yet of course when Paul wrote this Herod's temple was still open for business but as always he's looking way beyond 70 AD and yes Matthew 24 partly has Herod's temple in mind but Christ sees a day way beyond the destruction of Herod's temple when the temple went down 70 AD Nobody went into the temple itself and sat on the mercy seat and proclaimed to the world that such a person was God Almighty, but they will during the tribulation. Verse 5, remember ye not that when I was yet with you, 
I told you these things. Time after time, the Apostle Paul would have to remind the church what was so and what wasn't. So for those of us which are pre-millennial, pre-tribulational, once saved, always saved, and Trinity believers, Trinity defenders, we have to remind the body of Christ these wonderful truths to stop future generations getting contaminated, but also those that are already saved getting confused which is what is going on at the moment. And now ye know what withholdeth, that he may, that he might be revealed in his time. So Paul's ministry, first and foremost, was to preach the gospel. He was an evangelist. He was a traveling preacher. And like I say, this video is called The Apostate. Make sure you're not one. And part of his uh, remit wasn't just doing videos like this, wasn't just preaching and teaching saved people but it was also reaching out to unsaved people sharing the gospel telling people that they must be born again only this morning I was speaking to a sister who was doing some great outreach work and maybe 10 years ago she told me how she met two sisters biological sisters from uh, Indonesia and she shared the gospel with them they got saved and went back to indonesia somewhere near java and maybe nine or ten years have gone by and she thought about them a few days ago made contact with these two biological sisters one is working as a teacher in a school but is slightly backsliding the other has married a man who was a muslim but she was able to convert him could have been a disaster had she not been able to convert him and she too was backsliding when she met him but the Lord blessed her marriage with this guy he got saved converted to Christianity but this particular woman has got two sons with her ex-Muslim husband who's now a Christian like I say or ex-Muslim he's now a Christian and this couple have got two sons one is six one is two and the sister said to this woman in Java, what did you call your sons? What are their names? And she said, well, the first son is called such and such. And the sister was quite surprised. You mean you didn't give him a Christian name? Oh no, she said, uh, my husband was worried that the Muslims would persecute us if our son had a Christian name. So we gave him a secular name, a name that we hoped and thought wouldn't cause any persecution in the west it's the other way around isn't it in the west you are you are told and taught by the media all the time how christians are bad people and muslims are good people how the white man is a bad man how the white man is a racist and how the black man is a persecuted downtrodden man and how black people or asian people or minority people have to be given special rights privileges what do they call that uh, positive discrimination affirmative action in America you've got to lift up the minority groups that's what they say and allow them a crack at the whip that's what they say and yet you go to somewhere like Indonesia it's the other way around the Christians are on the back foot persecuted I mean really persecuted and this woman said to the sister in question well we didn't want to give our son a Christian name like I say because he may be persecuted but do you know what's happened the kid is still being persecuted why? Because his parents are Christians 
he's a Christian and so is his younger brother, who's two. They don't go to the local mosque and the kids are persecuting this little boy. This is a common problem in parts of the world which the media in this country will never talk about. Never talk about. In this country, like I say, the Christian is the bad man. The white man is the bad man. And the black man or the Asian man or the Oriental man is the good man, etc, etc, etc. And my generation was raised to believe that. I was taught as a kid at school that only white people can be racist. That's a lie. That's a lie. Of course, racism doesn't actually exist, you understand. It's a term made up by white middle class people. Something's either right or it's wrong. It's either good or it's evil. If you hate somebody based on their skin colour, that is evil. That is wrong. If you hate someone based on their sexuality, same sort of a thing. It's either right or it's wrong. It's either good or it's evil. Don't call it racism. That's a term which has been made up, like I say, by white middle class people, basically to punish decent people, Christian people who have principles, who have values. Most people in this country have no principles or values. But that woman in Java is backsliding, had to admit it to the sister in question. And the sister in question said to this woman in uh, Java, do you read your Bible? to your boys oh no I don't do that she said why not she said well I'm kind of lazy I only read my Bible when I go to church on Sunday backsliding picture of apostasy of course and her boys will grow up being ignorant of the Bible they will have further clashes altercations with their Islamic friends or foes and those Islamists will know their Quran and do know their Quran inside out and yet the average Christian boy or girl has got no idea what this book is all about because their parents are too lazy to read it, study it and share it. And now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. It's all about time. It's all about time. Almighty God waited until he was ready to send the Lord Jesus Christ to the earth and right now God is waiting to allow Jesus Christ to return to the earth Almighty God would wait until a king called James arrived on the scene with a Jewish name meaning Jacob to commission the King James Bible God lives outside of time we of course live inside of time and we get impatient many times we are wanting this or that to happen and we start to say what is the delay why is the Lord in no rush to return he will return when he's good and ready you've got to be patient brethren you've got to be patient there's still much work to be done there's still many things to be done and here the man of sin is being held back and praise the Lord for that because like I say the current state of the church is in such a poor state that I really don't think the average Christian would last seven minutes in the tribulation, let alone seven years. Th thankfully, we're not going to be here when the tribulation begins, but many will. And it says how the, how the love of many is going to wax cold, but he that endureth unto the end shall be saved. And that gets misquoted by people to suggest you have to do something in order to somehow stay saved. You can't stay saved. You can't get saved yourself. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags. What can you possibly offer the Lord?
nothing. That verse from Matthew 24, he that endureth unto the end shall be saved, is dealing with apostasy, not growing cold. Brother shall betray the brother, sister shall betray the sister, many will be offended, so on and so forth. But he that endureth, he that continues, he that finishes the race, he that pushes to the finishing line, shall be saved. Saved from what? Deception. Apostasy. Not saved from your sins and go to heaven forever. That is also a terrible uh, error on the parts of some of our dispensational friends. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. It's already working. It was already working during the time of the Apostle Paul. The Gentile world powers going right back to the Old Testament were calling the shots because the Jews were faithless were worshipping statues and idols like the Catholics do today and Jehovah got fed up with the Jews doing that sent them prophet after prophet and uh, prophet after prophet was ignored, rejected some were even executed and then one day the prophet of prophets arrives the Lord of Lords, the God of Gods the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord of the Sabbath, Lord of the Temple. And they put him on a cross. And they say, we'll have no man to reign over us like this guy, but we'll have another man to reign over us like Caesar. Picture of the Antichrist. Only he who now letteth will let, until he be taken out of the way. You've got two views on this particular verse. Only he who now letteth will let, until he be taken out of the way. The first view says that somehow Satan is holding the man of sin back, which is credible. And the other view says it's the Holy Ghost who's holding the man of sin back, which is also credible. But let me say this if I may, the main power, the main authority on the earth, heaven, solar system, here, there, anywhere, the main power, the main boss, if you will, is God Almighty. Go back to the book of Job. In my last video, I talked about Job <coughs> and how the Lord said to the devil, check out this guy, Job. He's a righteous man, a very decent man. And God gave the devil permission to work him over. Satan wanted to destroy him. Satan wanted to destroy Simon Peter. And the Lord said, no, you won't destroy Simon. You won't destroy Job. You won't destroy Paul, who was battling for his eyesight over in the book of Galatians. God would restrict the power, the remit, the authority of the devil. So when it says, or when the view is put up, put out by our dispensational friends, some, some not all, that somehow Satan is withholding the man of sin is possible, but is it practical? For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. The mystery, something which wasn't revealed clearly, precisely, clearly. For a period of time, the rapture is a mystery. The deity of Christ is a mystery. The mystery of iniquity, the mystery of godliness. For the mystery of iniquity doth, does already work. It was uh, prevalent during the time of Paul's time on the earth. Only he 
who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way so the word let letteth can mean one of two things you can stop somebody doing something that's the first meaning when it comes or the first definition of the word let you won't let something happen and the other meaning is to allow something to happen so one more time he who now letteth he who isn't allowing this to take place will allow it to take place could be the devil like some of our dispensational friends could be the holy ghost if you were to push me i would say it's probably the holy ghost because he has the authority to do whatever he wants to do only god could send jesus only god could resurrect jesus from the dead satan is a very powerful creature but he's not all powerful only god is all powerful so i tend to go with the second interpretation how the holy ghost as of paul's writing wasn't allowing wasn't letting the man of sin be revealed but he will let it he will allow it when he's good and ready and that will, will of course take place after the church has been removed look at verse 8 and then shall that wicked be revealed whom the lord shall consume with the spirits of his mouth holy ghost and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming jesus christ go back to the transfiguration even him whose coming is after the working of satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish this is aimed at unsaved people because they received not the love of the truth the truth of course is jesus christ i am the way the truth and the life no man cometh unto the father but by me there is no other name given unto heaven among men whereby we must be saved there's only one mediator between god and men the man christ jesus that they might be saved in a context from their sins not like matthew 24 from deception and for this cause god shall send them strong delusion not the devil that they should believe a lie like believe on anyone or anything apart from jesus christ for your salvation that they all might be damned who believed not the truth you're saved by believing you are damned for not believing but had pleasure in unrighteousness romans chapter 1 lists around 30 sins and all those sins that are found over in romans chapter 1 not complete but pretty near specifically deal with unsaved people living like they will and even saved people can commit those sins of the flesh which i'll discuss shortly but we are bound to give thanks always to god for you brethren beloved of the lord because god hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth when the lord arrives he starts to preach kingdom of god kingdom of heaven those that receive it are then obviously saved justified sanctified adopted to be conformed 
to the image of his son are predestinated to become the sons of God. Nobody was predestinated to be the sons of God before the foundation of the world. Nobody was in Christ before the foundation of the world because nobody existed before the foundation of the world. And Christ is a title. Jesus is a name. Before Jesus Christ walked on this earth, or before he was known as Jesus Christ, he was referred to as the Word of God. Wherefore, or whereunto, excuse me, he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You've got two groups of people, you've got two dispensations, you've got two events taking place. If you will, there are two parts to the Lord's first coming. When he's born, around 4 BC or thereabouts, first and foremost, these shepherds are made aware of this over in the Gospel of Luke. Luke uh, chapter 1 or 2 from memory. I think it's Luke chapter 2 actually. And the shepherds are made aware uh, that the newborn king has been born. In fact, it's Luke chapter 1, excuse me. And off they go to visit the shepherd or shepherds private affair, private event, not broadcast to the world. By the time of 18 months of age, the Magi arrive. It's a big event. Herod's aware of it. His chief of staff will be aware of it. His secret police are aware of it. The world and his wife are aware of it. But it's still connected to the first coming, the birth of Christ. Second coming, same sort of a thing. The rapture comes first. Go back to Luke chapter 1, the shepherds. A tiny group, an intimate group, are aware of his birth. The shepherds, Luke chapter 1, picture the church. Luke chapter, uh, excuse me, Acts chapter 1, as he went up, so would he come back. Who saw him go up the first time? The church did. He comes back for the church. First Corinthians, I uh, made that first, uh, first Thessalonians chapter 4. Second Thessalonians 2, 1. The church are gathered unto him, gathered to be with him. Pitching the shepherds, like I say, contrast that to Matthew 24. When he comes back, Revelation 19, we come back with him. You've got to get this clear, otherwise you get so confused. And that event, Matthew 24, Revelation 19, is found over in uh, Matthew chapter 2, concerning Herod's men being made aware that the king of the Jews has arrived. Look at 3, 5. And the Lord, direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. We are waiting for Christ, those of us which are born again. We're not waiting for the Antichrist. We're not waiting for the false prophet either. He gets overlooked sometimes. The false prophet puts an image together in honour of the beast. The beast, of course, is the Antichrist. And this beast, or this image of the beast, comes alive. It's obviously a picture, a crude picture, of Christ's death and resurrection. Another horse flies are <laughs> coming when I start to speak about the devil, Beelzebub. If you are a saved man, I'll just say this very quickly and get back to this, if you are a brother in the Lord and you are trying to get people saved, putting up videos like this, 
or putting tracks out, trying to get people born again. You are under great oppression all of the time. You may get breaks, you know, as and when, but most of the time you've got problems here, problems there. So please pray for us. Pray for those of us which are saved, those of us which are trying to get other people saved. It's not as easy as you would think. But 2-1, coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, gathering together unto him in reference to the rapture, hasn't yet happened. That day can't take place because first and foremost, the man of sin has to arrive. Verse 3, also the day of Christ pictures his deity, Old Testament, the day of the Lord is at hand. For the Old Testament, when a Jew read that, he knew that it was speaking about Jehovah. For the New Testament, the day of the Lord is retitled the day of Christ. Because Jesus Christ is El Gabor, El Alion, Elohim, Jehovah, Adonai. Jesus Christ is God, which is also being attacked. A lot of anti-Trinitarians are attacking the very nature of Jesus Christ. And ask yourself this, if they are attacking that sacred scriptural truth, what else are they attacking? What else don't they hold to? What else do these anti-Trinitarians no longer hold to? Won't tell you, of course. If they were to tell you, they would lose a lot of support. I think you'd be quite surprised if you were able to find out what they, know, what they no longer hold to and yet pretend to hold to. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day, verse 3, shall not come, except they come a falling away first. So it starts back in the days of the Apostle Paul. You had groups in the early church, some may have been saved, calling him a liar, calling him a fake, calling him a fraud, accusing him of every sin under the sun, even, even attacking his demeanour, his uh, appearance. A bit like old Elijah back in the Old Testament, mocking his appearance. And back in the Second Kings, God would send a couple of she-bears, a couple of female bears, to devour, was it 24, 44 kids? A large number of young people for mocking the appearance of Elijah, a true prophet of God. And for New Testament, those that were attacking Paul's appearance were probably dealt with as well so be careful some of you enemies of the cross some of you people who attack those of us which are saved that are trying to get the gospel out be careful what you say and what you do because god sees and hears everything falling away first man of sin be revealed now you've got a couple of commas here and this also needs to be mentioned most people when they read second thessalonians chapter 2 think it's a chronological event a comma b comma c comma or x y z and they think it's a literal ongoing event like for example most people read this and they say well paul must mean this uh don't be deceived for that day shall not come except the come a falling away first and that man of sin be revealed and they say well there's no mention there of the rapture and they say this well maybe the rapture comes at the end of the tribulation and of course they miss out on a great blessing they cause the bible to contradict a man of sin be revealed son of perdition who opposeth and exalted himself above all that is called god or that is worshipped so that he as god capital g sitteth 
in the temple of God, showing myself that he is God. Keep your hand there and go to uh, Isaiah 61. Now sometimes when you read a passage like that, it can be dealing with an event, a chronological event, which takes place with any, uh, without any gaps, but not always. Sometimes a comma can delineate between a major period of time. Isaiah 61, the spirits of the Lord God is upon me. Holy Ghost is upon me, Jesus Christ, a person, not a part. The Holy Ghost is a person. You can grieve him, you can quench him, you can lie to him. He's not a part of God, he's a person. The spirits of the Lord God is upon me, Jesus Christ, because the Lord, in reference to the Father, hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. First coming, obviously. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, first coming, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, comma, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, second coming. You've got a comma there, which results in a gap of 2,000 years. But a Jew reading that, 700 BC, wouldn't know that. And that's why most Jews today don't believe on Jesus Christ as their Messiah. They don't realize that a comma or a semicolon or even a full stop in certain places in the Old Testament can mean all the difference between a thousand or two thousand years. Genesis chapter 3, I'll put enmity between your seed, like Eve's, and your seed, like Satan. He will crush your head crush your heel, so on and so forth. That was written 4,000 years before Christ arrived. Massive, massive distance and uh, delay in time. So when Paul speaks about gathering together unto him the rapture, be not deceived, that day hasn't arrived until the, the man of sin arrives, go back to 2 Thessalonians, he's got a break, a distance of some kind in mind. Now Paul didn't know the exact uh, date, of the rapture, only God knows the date or the exact date of the rapture. So be careful when you read these passages. 2 6. And now ye know what withholdeth. And they say, but the term what is neuter. It can't mean a person, it can mean a person. Jesus Christ is called that holy thing over in the Gospel of Luke. That holy thing, neuter. 1 John chapter 1, that which we have seen, Jesus Christ is also referred to in the neuter. This is what causes a confusion. Could it be the man of sin? Or could it be Satan, more specifically, holding back the man of sin? Does Satan have the authority to hold back the man of sin? And if he does, why is he referred to in the neuter? Or does the Holy Ghost have the authority to hold back the man of sin? For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he, masculine pronoun, only he who now letteth will let 
until he, Antichrist, man of sin, be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked, capital W, be revealed. Whom the Lord, triune God, shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, Holy Ghost, like Isaiah 61, Spirit of the Lord is upon me, so and so forth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, the Lord Jesus Christ. I guess when they saw him up on the uh, transfiguration, up on that mount, the radiance would have been so bright, they would have had to be wearing glasses, like sunglasses. In fact, when I first arrived here, maybe an hour ago or so, the glare was so strong, I had to wear my sunglasses. But you think about Jesus Christ radiating on that mount. Think about what it says over in Isaiah, how the sun will be increased sevenfold. Even the power, moon, the power and radiance of the moon is going to be increased sevenfold. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. So Satan empowers the man of sin. If you will, Satan is a type of God the Father. The man of sin, the Antichrist, is a type of Christ, the Son of God. Revelation speaks about the unholy trinity. You've got the Antichrist, the dragon, and the beast. It all goes back to what's real. Father, Son, and Spirit. Sun, Moon, and the stars or sun, moon, and the earth, to be more precise, the stars also, to some extent, picture the Trinity, but everything comes in threes. Body, soul, spirits, dragon, being the devil, false prophet, being a type of the Holy Ghost, and the beast, being a type of Christ. And if you get that, you will never fall prey to these modalists, that are going around blaspheming God. That's what they are doing, they're blaspheming God. Verse 10, and with all deceivableness, all deceivableness of unrighteousness, and then that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. So this will happen, but it doesn't happen in a way that most people think it's gonna happen. You've got several commas, you've got several situations taking place. If you think of a stage play if you see a stage play you have act one act two act three or if you think of a movie you have the beginning the middle and the end or a football match has the first half the break second half it's one game it's one movie it's one play but it's broken up into different parts and as far as god is concerned this is one event broken up into different parts different dispensations I could say so much more about that but I'm running out of time go to Revelation chapter 3 please Revelation chapter 3 so the iniquity or the mystery of iniquity doth already work was already up and running during the days of the Apostle Paul and when you get to uh, Revelation chapter 3 you've got two churches very different churches but they're still churches and this also causes a lot of confusion revelation chapter 3 look at verse 7 if you will and to the angel of the church in philadelphia write these things saith he that is holy 
He that is true, he that hath a key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth, I know thy works. Works. Works, saved unto good works. Ephesians chapter 2. You're not saved by your works. He that endureth unto the end shall be saved. Like get a reward. Not be condemned, but commended, if you will. And here this church, the Philadelphia church, is being commended. I know thy works. Behold, I, I have set before thee an open door. Like all over the world. And this church from Philadelphia, first and foremost, was a literal church from memory, modern-day Turkey. I went through the book of Revelation maybe three years ago. And this church, first-century church, was a literal church, but it's a type of a future church. It covers a church that will come much later down the line. And most dispensationalists, and I agree with these people, will say that this church probably consists or concerns those that were living around 1600 to probably 1900 or thereabouts. And if you go back to the 16th, 17th, 18th century or right up into the 19th century, some great preachers went all over the world. William Carey, uh, D.L. Moody, of course, Wesley, Edwards, Spurgeon, uh, and also uh, David Brainard. Missionaries went to China, Japan, Indonesia. The whole world was covered. People were hearing the gospel for the first time probably ever. And the question gets asked, what happens to those people that died before Christ? What happens to those people that have never met a missionary? According to Romans chapter 2, God will judge them on their conscience. He will judge them on what they knew and what they did with what they knew. The law of God is written on your heart. The Ten Commandments is written on all of our hearts. So when you do wrong, you know you're doing wrong. And I'll discuss that more in a few minutes. Set before thee an open door and no man can shut it. That was very true. No country was off limits from 1600 up until 1900. After World War II, Douglas MacArthur would say concerning Japan, give me Bibles, Bibles, Bibles. The whole world is hearing the gospel for the first time on a mass scale, of course. Paul tells you from the book of Romans that by the end of the first century, the gospel had gone, had gone all over the world. By the end of the first century, remarkable. But this era is a tremendous era, for thou hast little strength, and hast kept my word, and has not denied my name. They kept his word. They stood by the King James Bible. Of course, go back to the first century, you've got Papias uh, copies, you've got uh, Greek manuscripts being copied out, you've got the Latin Bible, which would obviously predate the King James. You've got the uh, Old Syrian Bible, and you've got Bibles which would be used in Germany, which uh, Luther was responsible for, the Gutenberg Press, so on and so forth. 
But ultimately, this is building up to the King James Bible. If we say 1600 to 1900, we've got the King James Bible. All of those guys, and I mean all of those guys I've just mentioned, were all King James men. Yes, sometimes they would correct the King James. I've got Schofield's reference Bible. He corrects the King James. Shame on him. And I've got uh, Larkin's Dispensational Truth. And he too would correct the King James. But they still use the King James Bible for their books, for their reference Bibles. Even uh, John Wesley used the King James Bible. I know uh, John Nelson Darby put his own translation out. But before he did that, he too was using the King James Bible. So therefore, God would bless this church, the Philadelphia church, the first century church. They kept the word of God. Whatever they had, whatever uh, copies of the New Testament they had, around 90 AD, they kept it. They didn't deny it. And on top of that, they hadn't denied his name. They didn't sell out. Didn't become lukewarm. Didn't become apostates so it's a good church it's a good church it shows that people can still make it Paul told you he could do all things through Christ which strengthened him all things my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus and yet those two passages are so difficult to really understand I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me I can overcome, or I can live with diabetes, I can live as a cripple, I can live as a blind person, I can live as a deaf person, I can live in Java, like that woman, with her husband, in an Islamic area, heavily outnumbered, like nine to one, Christians around the world, especially in Indonesia, are a minority of minorities, and there's no pressure groups for them either. In this country, there are pressure groups for everyone and everything apart from your average Caucasian, Anglo-Saxon, Saxon, heterosexual man or woman. In this country, if you are a conservative Christian who has principles and values, your days are numbered. There are people all over this country that are rising up and are joining groups, which takes me to the next church. 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans writes, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. Laodicea, human rights, civil rights, people have rights, affirmative action, positive discrimination. People are now being hired, not on their merits, but on the colour of their skin, on their preferred sexuality. And the churches in this country are silent for the most part. The churches in this country are cowardly for the most part. Don't want to rock the boat. And here, Laodicea was a literal church, like I say, modern-day Turkey or Greece, for memory, but it was lukewarm, it was cold, it had apostatized. And this church, Laodicea, 1900, leading up to the second coming, rapture of the church. We are living in that church right now. 
This is the era of Laodicea. Everyone thinks they have rights and they will fight you to get their rights. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. In the middle, sitting on the fence. I would thou wert cold or hot. I would much rather you were either just cold or just hot. Because when you're lukewarm, you're hard to tie down. You're hard to get through to. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. I will vomit you out of my mouth. This is a very difficult verse to correctly exegete. It's a bit like 1 John chapter 3. He that is born again doesn't sin, cannot sin, because his seed remains in him. But here, this is aimed at a church, not the world. And the church, or a church here, is part of the body of Christ. This church is part of Christ's body. This church belonged to Christ. These aren't goats. These aren't tares. These aren't dogs. This church is just that, church. So therefore, Christ is going to spew, vomit, this church out of his mouth. It's a pitch of revulsion. Today it's a very warm day and I've got a bottle of water on me. If I was to unscrew it and start to drink it, if it was warm water, it would be repulsive to me. I would spit it out on the ground. Although I wouldn't do that because water is a precious commodity. But the point is this, I want cold or cool water to alleviate my thirst. Going back to I would that you are either cold or hot. I can deal with the heat. If it's too hot, I can cool down. If it's too cold, I can warm it up. But if it's lukewarm, it's horrible to taste. And as a result, I will spit it out, vomit it out of my mouth. Second Corinthians chapter five, Paul speaks about the judgment seat of Christ. He calls it the terror of the Lord. And he says how we will all have to appear at the judgment seat of the Lord to be judged for what we've done in the body works whether good or evil and for some people they will arrive at the judgment seat and will be just naked they backslid continued to backslide like that crowd over in first corinthians chapter 11 that couple over in acts chapter 5 wouldn't repent god chastised them and i get to that in a minute and as a result, arrived at the judgment seat with nothing to show for their lives. And it's also possible, according to some interpretations, and I'm on the fence on this particular interpretation, from oh, the horse flight, excuse me, uh, Luke chapter 12, how Christ gets the old whip out. I mean, Paul got whipped, and he was a good man. Paul was whipped nearly 200 times in his life, 200 times. Galatians 6 is it, I bear in my body the scars of the Lord Jesus Christ. If a good man like Paul was whipped based on the Lord's permissive will, what's gonna happen when a good man, or what's gonna happen if a bad man who is saved continues 
to do bad things. I mean, think about it. Paul was good, and he suffered for being good. But how about Christians who are doing bad? Like I say, it's been suggested by some that they will be whipped at the judgment seat. I don't know, but it's possible. 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. Completely deceive themselves, and that's the worst thing that can probably happen to a person. Self-deception. We have a wonderful church. We have a wonderful pastor. We have a wonderful YouTube channel. We're being blessed. We are very well-to-do. Autonomous. Everything's hunky-dory. And the world, look at that, and the world think the same thing. Well, this church must be doing well. Look what they've got. No. Those churches are manipulating themselves and their congregations. So therefore, 18, I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, judgment to the Christ, and anoint thine eyes with I salve that thou mayest see. This is God's church, or one of God's churches. And here Jesus is speaking to one of his churches. He wants them to ship up. He wants them to repent. There's a chance for them to get back into fellowship with him. Look at 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. He loved this church. The seventh and final church every generation ends in apostasy of course the last word from genesis chapter 50 is coffin the last word in uh, malachi chapter 4 is cursed cursed coffin cursed death christ hung on a cross died a cursed death every generation ends in apostasy Laodicea, we're living in it right now. It was bad enough when Paul was alive. Like I say, people going around slandering him, attacking him, trying to undermine him. That was bad enough, but now it's even worse. If you go into your local library and look up books about the Apostle Paul, or if you go online and just Google the Apostle Paul, he's the most attacked man by writers. It's not Hitler or Stalin it's the Apostle Paul he's attacked by professing Christians for his so-called misogyny which is incorrect he's attacked by Muslims for inventing Christianity which is incorrect Christianity is a Jewish religion the root is Jewish we are whether we like it or not or whether the Jews like it or not more importantly we are dependent on the Jews because the root is Jewish Romans 11 the branches are wild branches we're grafted in so the root supports us we don't support the root but of course that goes back to anti-semitism which I won't speak about this morning as many as I love I rebuke and chasten be zealous therefore and repent go to Hebrews chapter 12 I'm sure this woman in java and her sister who lives 
not far from there have been probably chastised by the Lord uh, for backsliding for not uh, teaching their boys the Bible and I'm sure when uh, Ananias and Sapphira were challenged by Peter over in Acts chapter 5 they too initially had been chastised by God Almighty before they were publicly challenged I'm sure their consciences were, uh, were bothering them I'm sure they felt terribly afflicted terribly uh, grieved inside but they were suppressing it lukewarm Hebrews 12 look at verse 6 for whom the Lord loveth he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth why would Paul say that if it wasn't possible for saved people to sin why would God need to chastise his own people if they couldn't sin if we say we haven't sinned we make him a liar and the truth is not in us but if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us of our unrighteousness for whom the Lord loveth Revelation chapter 3 he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth so for today it's like this if you are saved but you are an apostate God is chastising you but you've got free will you can resist it going back to the sin unto death going back to 1 Corinthians 11 how some of you are weak and sickly and how some of you are sleeping you've died God's killed you prematurely because you would not repent if ye endure chastening God dealeth with you as with sons for what son is he whom the father chasteneth not so if life doesn't affect you or let's say you are one of those sinless perfection people haven't sinned I've been a Christian 15 years they say or 25 years have never sinned in 25 years and therefore by that very statement if you've never sinned then God hasn't chastised you right and they would have to say yes that's right God has never chastised me because I've never sinned but here it says what son is he whom the father chasteneth not uh, chasteneth not so the emphasis is quite simply on the fact that if you are a saved man or woman you will be chastised not all of the time obviously you can live above sin you can conquer any mountain within reason of course there's no there's no justification for you to do wrong but when you do do wrong you are chastened and this goes completely against these sinners perfection people but if ye be without chastisement whereof all are partakers then are ye bastards and not sons so if you're not being afflicted chastised scourged for doing wrong then you don't belong to God you are illegitimate you are a bastard you're unsaved and again the emphasis seems to be that Christians will sin do sin if we say we haven't sinned first John chapter 1 if we sin we have an advocate with the father the propitiation for our sins not just ours but the sins of the whole world it's quite clear to me that the writers of the New Testament knew that people would sin Paul told that from uh, Romans chapter 7 and as a result of sinning and not repenting and that's the point not repenting God gets a stick out 
in a spiritual sense, but possibly in a literal sense, at the judgment seat of Christ, to whip his church, the apostate, you see. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence, absolutely. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits than live? Put up with it. Don't gripe. Don't start to backbite or complain and say this, uh, or say along the lines of, why does he do this to me? Why am I being buffeted or whipped? Why am I so churned up inside? Because you're sinning. Because you are out of fellowship with God. You're in the Laodicea church. You're talking about your rights all the time. You're talking about this and that. You're no longer standing by the book. You're using these other Bibles and you are becoming your own final authority. You're attacking the Trinity perhaps, or the rapture, or the thousand year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when people start to do that perpetually, God steps in and gets a stick out to get them back into fellowship with him, of course. Well, they verily, for a few days, chastened us after their own pleasure. Not in a sadistic sense, but in a, discipline, in a, disciplinary, a, dis, a disciplinary sense. But he, for our prophets, benefit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Going back to my backsliding video. And going back to the video I did on uh, Esther and Haman and Mordecai. People get bitter, disgruntled, they start to backslide and go on to commit the sins of the flesh. Like verse 15, like verse 16, like verse 17, like verse 18. You reap what you sow. That's why it's imperative, if you are born again, to be careful how you live and what you do after you are saved. So I will say this and start to wrap this message up that heresy is obviously dangerous apostasy is also dangerous once you start to become a heretic you can contaminate other people once you become an apostate you are not only contaminating yourself but obviously all those around you once you become lukewarm god sees you in a very negative light obviously and he will chastise you, Hebrews chapter 12, to bring you back into fellowship with him. That's why you confess your sins in the first place. To stay in fellowship with him. To keep walking with him. But if you get weary of doing that, and you start to do your own thing, you start to follow your feelings, you start to get tossed to and fro from spirits, Second Thessalonians, chapter 2 verse 2 and 3 books word of mouth a lot of people online are into dreams and visions and the devil will work through those people to get to you to destroy you going back to the pride of jealousy going back to Haman going back to uh, Mordecai wanted to destroy Haman Excuse me, Haman wanted to destroy Mordecai and Esther. Satan wanted to destroy Christ. Couldn't do it, of course. Christ would outwit him. So what did he do? He wants to shift Simon Peter 
and you've got Peter to deny Jesus three times and he'll have no trouble with the average Christian living in the Laodicea era because the average Christian living today is easily offended, thin-skinned, doesn't like rebuke, doesn't like to be told off for doing wrong, gets easily offended, hates the idea of being rebuked and therefore when they do get rebuked they kick against it. So like I say this message will be called the apostate, uh, Christians can apostatize. I've seen it myself over the years like I say or like I said a little while ago now a lot of channels that I used to be aware of going back 12 years now or thereabouts are no longer producing good quality videos are no longer contending for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints they've just thrown in the towel they have compromised surrendered or maybe they lost their faith altogether Paul does speak about the possibility of having your faith overthrown going back to the damage that heretics and apostates can do if you listen to these people long enough they get into your system they turn you against the Lord they cause you to become a compromiser an apostate a heretic and if you're not careful you'll be just spewed out of the mouth of the Lord you're still saved thankfully but like by the skin of your teeth and the judgment seat of Christ people will be arriving in their multitudes as far as I'm concerned naked nothing to show for their lives just cowering from the Lord and like I say if you go back to the account from Luke 12 it is possible but don't quote me but it is possible for certain Christians who remained in a backslidden state apostatizing promoting heresy attacking the King James especially because he put his word he put his word above his name Psalm 138 verse 2 and you attack the word which people do you attack the rapture which people do you attack the Trinity which people do you attack once saved always saved which people do and those people are going to arrive at the judgment seat of Christ in a sorrowful state a pitiful state a bit like when Noah was found naked by one of his sons Ham and that showed the consequences of a good godly man a saved man like Noah who got drunk and as a result his shame was seen by his own kin a picture of the judgment seat of Christ as far as I'm concerned concerning the apostate and the heretic who continues to deviate from scripture and stray further into sin and apostasy and on that statement I will sign out and wish you every happiness peace and joy in the wonderful name of our great God and Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and Amen.